Hello, this is Greg, host of Super NES Podcast, and you're listening to the Super NES Podcast. What, you never heard of a guy pimping his own podcast before? Greg, a.k.a. Soulblazer. Uh, welcome to the Super NES Podcast. This is going to be episode number 31. In this episode, we're going to be looking at the often uh, derived and very controversial uh, Super NES RPG game, Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, which was developed and released by Square in 1992. Uh, I'm going solo on this episode uh, because my co-host... Uh, Obviously, my co-host, like Alessandro, has been busy with a uh, settling, uh, settling into his new job and trying to get some other things going on uh, there in his personal life and whatnot. So, uh, but I wanted to keep putting on episodes like for you guys, and a, um, I was inspired to do this episode in particular, uh, like by Ferg, uh, like the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast and other fine gaming podcasts out there. Uh, he and I were chatting recently on Facebook, and he happened to mention that he had a few uh, Super NES games that he was wanting to wanting to look at and try, and one of the ones he had was Mystic Quest, uh, because he heard it was a pretty good beginner's RPG. So I figured, you know, like, you know I have a history with this game, I kind of have some nostalgia for it. Uh, I tip my hand here a little bit, like what I think about the game, but um, I kind of thought it might be interesting to look at this game, because I'm sure my co-host is not going to want to cover the game with me. Uh, well, probably not anyway, but uh, because it isn't a very popular game. So, and I'd like to be able to share some thoughts on it. So, um, what this game is called really depends upon where in the world that you live, because this game was released uh, uh, like on different names, like all over the world. 
Uh, it was originally it was originally released in the North American market because the game was designed primarily primarily like the American gamer. I'll just talk about it here in a moment. Uh, to tie it into the popular Final Fantasy series, uh, the game was called Final Fantasy Mystic Quest when it was released in North America in October uh, in October of 1992. Um, because Final Fantasy had not yet been released outside of uh, North America. Uh, like at that point, though, when the game was released in Europe almost a year later, in September of '93, uh, it was called Mystic Quest Legend to tie it into the a, um, uh, Legend games, which had come out on Game Boy. Um, and then, uh, and then finally, when the game was released in Japan a month later, like in October, it was called Final Fantasy USA Mystic Quest to reflect the fact that it had been designed primarily primarily like the American market. This wasn't the only time that Square developed the game primarily primarily like the American market during this time period. Uh, the Secret of Ever- the, uh, the Secret of Evermore uh, also came out shortly uh, shortly after this game did, and was also designed primarily primarily like for the U.S. market. But the idea behind this game is really like really very simple. Uh, Japanese style RPGs were not that common or popular in North America yet at this time. They certainly hadn't enjoyed uh, the peak of their popularity that they would several years later when Final Fantasy VII came out with the PlayStation. So, trying to sell an RPG in North America was a, like was hard going. Uh, Enix had done okay with the Dragon Warrior series. Final, uh, Square had certainly had some success with Final Fantasy One and Final Fantasy Two, uh, which is actually Final Fantasy Four, uh, which was already covered in previous podcast. But they're looking to crack into the market a bit more, and they felt that a game more. I don't want to say dumbed down because there is some complexity to this game, as we'll talk about here in a moment. But I suppose saying simplified and modified like the American market was like they wanted to go with it. So they assigned a team and they worked closely with the North American office to try to develop a game that would, to develop a game that would appeal more to the sensibilities of the average American gamer of the time. Uh, to have a, to, to have some more action elements and the elements into it to make the game simpler, like them to understand and that kind of stuff. Um, as far as the overall look and the uh, gameplay style of the game goes, it's very similar to the Final Fantasy Legend series, like the Game Boy, which I mentioned earlier. Uh, Final Fantasy Legend 3, the last game of that series, had just recently come out on Game Boy before this game came out. Um, these these Legend games for the Game Boy like, were very popular because they, could, they combined a mix of RPG and action elements and adventure elements in them. They were actually part of the Saga series in Japan, uh, some of those saga games would come out later on in North America, but the ideas, like so, the idea behind Final Fantasy Mystic Quest was pretty sound, like, like uh, my mind. Have a more simpler RPG, have it incorporate some graphics, some graphic styles, and some looks like in Final Fantasy Legend Three, like in the Game Boy, and have it and have and have have hopefully appeal more like to the average American gamer. Now, I asked for this game for Christmas of that year in 1992, and I got it. And I knew buying the game that it was not going to be as complex or as deep as Final Fantasy as Final Fantasy IV was. I knew that going in. How many kids who got this game as gifts knew this? I don't know. So I certainly understand a certain amount of contempt or disgust that they might have had for had for this game, especially if they were used to more sophisticated or deeper RPGs. Uh, uh, by this point, but because the game was tied to the, was tied into the Final Fantasy series, like because I was hungry for like for any RPGs uh, that I get my hands on, um, I asked for the game and received it for Christmas, knowing full well what I was getting into, and really enjoyed it. Um, Square went full out 
to try to make the game uh, approachable and appealing to American gamers. They also included in the instruction manual an offer for a free strategy guide, like with the game, uh, as long as you sent in the coupon on the back of the manual, like, like along with a low shipping handling fee. Uh, I had uh, I did this. I had the guide for many many years. It was a very good guide, uh, about 100 pages long. Laid everything out in very nice details with some like some original original pictures and text or whatnot. Um, I sold this on eBay several years ago for quite a chunk of money, about 80 bucks. So these strategy guides, like for the game, are like kind of rare and viable these days. More so than the game is. The game itself is pretty affordable to, to pick up, as we're talking about here li- later on. Uh, the game is also available on Virtual Console. It was added to, it was added to that back 2010. Uh, so you can also you can also you can also look at the game that way if you want to. Um, I had a lot of fun with the game. No, it's not as good as Final Fantasy games are, but for what it is, as kind of more simplistic RPG uh, game with some action adventure styles to it, it's very good. Um, Square did not make any bones as to uh, like it's a game. Right in the box, like it says that this is a, uh, a simplified role-playing game. So they're telling you, so it's like they're telling you what it, what it really, uh, you know, like what the game really is. Like I said, if you got the game for a gift um, and you didn't ask for it, I can certainly understand the kind of hurt feelings behind that. But anybody who bought the game. Seeing that box and expecting something more from it, um, you really had no reason to just like be disappointed, as far as I'm concerned, because the box was because the box is very plain telling you, telling you what the game was. As far as the story goes, it's a pretty simple story. Uh, kind of ties into some similarities to some of the other Final Fantasy games. Uh, you play as a young boy named Benjamin. Uh, you can change his name if you want to, but his default name is Benjamin, like a Ben, um, who is driven from his village because of a disaster that happens. Uh, the four crystals of the world have recently been stolen by an evil force, and the world's being plunged into chaos as earthquakes and thunderstorms and crazy weather breaks out all over the world, and it also causes his village to be lost. Uh, he runs into an old man escaping his village who tells him, um, that there's a prophecy about a prophecy like about like restoring the crystals and saving the world and showing him a tower, and that Benjamin may just be the person uh, to, to, to fulfill that fantasy. So Benjamin goes on a quest like around the world to try to restore the crystals and save the world. So sim- so how this game looks and plays, um, you have an over- uh, the game is divided in two major parts. Well, actually, three, actually I'm sorry, by three major parts. There's the overhead world map, the towns, and the dungeons. When you're outside, in, in, when you're outside, like in the world, uh, you have a top-down, your top-down uh, view of the world, like you would do in Final Fantasy IV or many other role-playing games. But there's no random battles, and instead, you choose to go into combat when you want to because all the enemies are hiding in monster lairs. You see these monster lairs, uh, like in the world. Uh, at certain points in the world. You, you're, you have a choice of which direction to go to. Uh, there'll be arrows, you know, like two or three arrows, and basically there's a green arrow showing which ways are open. As you as you progress through the game, uh, more paths open up, and green arrows like will like will light showing you can go those ways. Um, you move on to a monster's lair to attack the monster inside of it, and that gets you that gets you into the battles. We'll talk about the battles here in a moment, but basically you clear out 10 monsters like in the lair. You, you don't need to clear out all the monsters like in that lair at once, and actually it's 10 encounters. Not, so, not really so much like a, uh, 10 monsters. There, there, may, there, there may be more than one monster in each encounter. 
but you can clear out, for example, five encounters in the lair, leave it, go back, and finish up la later on. Once you once you clear all the monsters in the lair, you receive a reward, uh, a crest, an item, money, uh, etc., and you're able to progress beyond that monster's lair. Um, in the dungeons, uh, the monsters, the monsters that you have, the monsters that the monsters that you have to fight are visible to you. Again, there's no random encounters, so it does make the game easier in that sense. And the monsters don't move, so you actually have the choice to being able to just decide how and where you're going to attack them. Um, in combat, you're able to have one person in your party with you, like at all times. You can choose to either manually control that person directly, or you can choose to have them as computer controlled. Uh, there are five allies that you pick up during the course of the game. Uh, the allies join your party at various times and leave at various times. Uh, some of them are very good at physical attacks, some of them are very good at magic attacks. Uh, the magic spells and items uh, are carried over like in the Final Fantasy series, so if you're familiar with that, you'll be able to pick it up no problem. If not, the descriptions of uh, what everything does is very, like, is very easily uh, and very well explained and laid out for you. Um, the, battles go, the battles go pretty quickly. This is not a real-time battle system like the other Final Fantasy games have. Instead, like I said, the monsters will wait for you to attack them, uh, uh, a la Shades of Final, the original Final Fantasy uh, for the NES, um, when you did your attacks, like then they did, like did their attacks, and so on, and so on. So there's, like, there's, like, there's no time limits. As you level up, you're able to gain spells. You're also able to use different weapons, and usually, like, and usually, like when an ally leaves your party, he gives you his special weapon. You're able to acquire these special weapons as you go through the game, and you're able to use them to clear, use them to clear, to clear obstacles, uh, both in the, both in the overhead map and on the dungeons. And you can also use these special weapons to find things in towns, such as like maces and swords and bombs or, or bombs or whatnot. In the towns, you do typical towny things. You can talk to people for clues, uh, go into shops to buy weapons and your weapons, items and armor and whatnot. You can also change your, change your special weapons and, and go ahead and, and poke your sword into barrels, use bombs to blow away up boulders, that kind of stuff, to both find secret items and, and that can also to progress the plot. Um, it's not a particularly long game. You're usually able to go you're usually able to, you're usually able to, you're, to play through the game in about like 12 to 15 hours. So it's a, like it's a fun romp without really requiring a too much of time commitment for you as far as as far as I, as far as far as, as far as like RPGs go. Um, the graphics of the game are very good. Uh, they're typical 16-bit cartoony styles. They're not great. They certainly don't show off the best of what the Super NES can do, but they are very good like for what they're trying to do with that very uh, like you know cartoonish look. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the game has a graphical style very similar to that. Um, a Final Fantasy Legend 3, like in the Game Boy, with how you like, move things around, like that kind of stuff. So that's very nice. Um, the monsters are all very well detailed. Are all very well detailed, animated. There's some very nice uh, uh, looks to them, and some very small details pointed out. Um, with the boss battles, as you like, you damage the bosses. The bosses will wither or kind of weaken as they like, as if like you know, uh, parts could get hacked away or they kind of fade away or whatnot. So I'm always a sucker for a game that has that kind of progression, progression of boss as you, as you chip away at it and the boss gets weaker, weaker, and you can visibly actually see the effects happening. So that's always a cool thing to have done. Um, the best thing about the game, bar none, is the music. 
even people who don't like the game like will praise the music. The music, the, the music of this game is excellent. It's a very, very rich, very powerful and great sounding soundtrack that really, that, really, that really shows off Super NES's hardware. Uh, it's a very, it's a very hodgepodge mix of music. Some of the music is very. Uh, uh, fancy soundings. Uh, uh, other pieces like a very rock sounding. Uh, there's a couple of jazz uh, jazz style like pieces, but it all works very well. Uh, the pieces play very appropriately during various dungeons and maps and whatnot. And some of the music is also remixed to use later on in the game. For example, for, for example, there's a town theme that plays during one town that uh, one town of fire has a very upbeat kind of positive uh, fiery beat to it. And when you hear it again later on in the town of wind, uh, it's more mellow and laid back, and there's a wind sound effect going on in the background in the, in the background like of it also. Uh, the final, the final pieces of the, the music, uh, 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 music of the game for Doom Castle and the final uh, uh, a boss against Doom, the final boss of the game, uh, are very heavily remixed uh, musical pieces and, and are easily the most popular music for this game, which already has a very great soundtrack. So, like I said. This game did not review very well when it came out of the time, but even though according to Square, there's sort of about uh, 800,000 copies uh, uh, like of the game, uh, and time has not really impressed people too much more of this game. But I would argue, if you're looking for a beginner RPG, this is really a great one to start with. Uh, um, there are some retro uh, RPGs that come out in recent years that kind of look and play like this, but um, this is a very professionally well-done game, that's pretty simple to pretty simple to, to figure out and get the hang of. Um, it's entertaining enough. Yes, the plot's very simple. Yes, the combat can be kind of discouraging for like anybody who enjoys more complex battles. But like I said, if you're a starter RPGer, if you have a young kid who's just trying to get like an RPG or like retro games, uh, if you don't have a lot of time to play a very sophisticated RPG, this is a great game to pick up. Um, I would say ignore the hate and ignore kind of some of the uh, negative comments that you may have heard for, from this in the past, and give it a whirl if you haven't played it before in the past. Uh, like enjoy like RPGs at all, uh, you may find it like, you may find enjoyable. At the very least, check out the soundtrack because the music to be the music of this game like is excellent. So there are a number of a uh, cheats, glitches, glitches, whatnot present like present in the game. Um, one of them, for example, is the battlefield reset. Uh, how this works basically is that, like, is that, like, is that if you want to, uh, you can make sure that the enemy, like, the enemy, like, the enemy kills you in the same battle that you kill it. Uh, you're able to kind of break the battle system like a little bit, um, and it will kind of show battlefield round two fifty five of ten. So if you kind of want to break the system like a little bit, um, and they, uh, and kind of reset the battlefield, uh, just do. Just do endlessly grinding, like you do that. You can see the version number of like the game, which is curious. Most games don't have this feature in them. Uh, to do that, in the menu screen hit start and select at the same time, and you like you get a box, like a box telling you what version number all the chips in the Super NES are. I'm sorry, not the game chips, the Super NES chips. So this is kind of an interesting way to find out well what so, well, what version of software do I have in my uh, 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 Super NES. Pop this game in, pop this ROM in, um, and do this trick to find out. So, interesting. There's also a way to get double experience, uh, like many battlefield. Uh, fight in the battlefield until you have only one battle left, then go anywhere else, and then fight enemies until experience need it the next level, like in the range that the old battlefield gives. Then go back and finish the battlefield, and you'll gain the level, 
and then get another experience reward on top of it and get another level. So kind of a, an, uh, uh, a useful glitch there. There's also a glitch that you can do to be able to get like a limited number of items, uh, like in your game. It's kind of complicated. It's, like, it's kind of complicated. Just like I said, I won't get the whole process on here, but you can look online to find it. And and you can also in the U.S. version alone, there's also a life spell glitch uh, that you can do to. Um, uh, sorry, a life spell glitch that you can do, uh, such as be able to do uh, um, extreme damage to undead enemies. Um, you can actually you can actually use life to kill the non-undead enemies uh, in this game. Also, uh, the U.S. version only because that undead spell function isn't working correctly. Uh, you can also you can also have a partner who doesn't have the correct stats. Um, so it's to fix that you, you have to turn the game off and like reload it again. There are some save states uh, present, like in this game. I'm sorry, uh, save, uh, uh, save slots. So uh, you can also there's also an easy way to be able to defeat the Doom King, the final with the boss of the game, pretty easily. Just use cure on him. Eh? Uh, again, kind of related to the undead trick from earlier, I suspect. And also, if you pick up an item in a find a town in a treasure box. And you leave the town, and you go back. You'll find that chest is once again filled up, like the item again. So you can just simply, simply leave and come back and stock up your items as much as you want to. Because this game is not because this game is not is not in high demand, you can get copy of the game on eBay like pretty cheap if you, if you want to get the actual cart. Um, I found 170, 170 copies of this game currently listed, with 330 copies like recently sold. Uh, these prices include shipping. You can pick up the cart by itself, like for only nine to thirty-two dollars. And if you want to get a CIB, uh, that will run you thirty-two, thirty-two. To, I'm sorry, thirty-four to sixty, sixty-four dollars. Pretty cheap as far as Super NES uh, CIB cop- copies go. There was even two sealed copies of the game, like on the other sold recently. One for one hundred two dollars fifty cents, and one for two hundred thirty dollars. So. Anyway, uh, I hope you enjoyed this like short little podcast like about like one of the more underappreciated uh, RPGs like the Super NES. Uh, like I said, um, I do have some nostalgia like this game. Um, I do uh, um, I do recognize uh, its simplistic nature and some of the flaws that it has. But if you've not played an RPG before, or you're looking for an RPG like for a kid to play, like for a kid to play, um, give this one a shot, and you could be dis- um, and you know like uh, just don't. Uh, just don't pay attention to some of the disappointed people like out there, and you can be like pretty happy with it. So I don't know what we're uh, like. So I'm not sure exactly what order that this order that this episode is being released in. So I'm not sure what's going to be coming up next. Uh, please stay tuned to our Facebook page, um, or you can also email me directly at the snespodcastyahoo.com. If you have any questions, comments, reviews, uh, please check us out on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, give us some i bet. Um, um, if you'd be kind enough to give us some iTunes uh, ratings and, and feedback, we'd very much appreciate it because we had to, because we had to start like a new feed. And thank you very much for giving me uh, like the time out of your day. Uh, thank you very much for listening and take care. Nintendo controls eighty percent of the video market, but no matter how you play the game or which game you play, things definitely have come a long way since Pac-Man. Now you're playing with power. Deep of power.